2: It's 1730 GMT. This is eyewitness news on ninety seven point three CTFM. I am Umarusanda Amadou. Tonight I'm here with
3: Eno Safo.
2: And coming up over the next nineteen minutes, another disaster on water, another water transport disaster rocks Ghana, leading to the death of nine school who were travelling on a canoe in the Weija Bawe municipality of the greater Accra region. We'll be bringing you updates on what we know so far. Also coming up, NDC's primaries for the weekend still shaky as the party's legal team tries last-minute attempts to address the suit filed by Dr. Kwapna Dufo. And later, on Eyewitness News, we remain in the courts where Emmanuel Atoyan of um, Capital Bank gets his application dismissed by the court. The prosecution or the Attorney General's Department has been asking for him to be jailed because he failed to pay some monies to the state. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on that and many other stories on Eyewitness News and in business.
3: Economists cast doubt over the timing for calls to cut the lending rates.
2: That's in 15 minutes uh, from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV. Eyewitness News is live across the country on a number of affiliate stations in the western region. We are on uh, Premier 100.5 FM, Beach 105.5 FM, and Sky Power. 93.5 FM, all of them in Takrade. In the Bono region, we are on Greener, 95.9 FM in Sunyani. In the Ashanti region, we are on Orange, 107.9 FM in Kumasi. Eastern region, we are on Right, 90.1 FM in Somania. In the Volta region, we are on Holy, 98.5 FM in Aplawu. In the Northern region, on Dasuma, 99.1 FM in Yendi. In the Upper East region, we are on Word FM, 88.3 in Zuarungu. And in the Upper West region, on Bugli Radio, 88.6 FM in the regional capital where do send your reactions to the discussions we are having on 0549 986 996 0549 do uh, send us your messages you can alternatively go on twitter and drop your message there uh, the handle is at umaru do use the hashtag city newsroom uh, alternatively you can uh, put comments on our facebook and youtube Uh, platforms where we are currently uh, bringing you uh, live uh, coverage of what's happening in the in this in the city newsroom here eyewitness news studios 97.3 ctfm is the station eyewitness news is a program umaru sandamadu is a name and i'm here with enu Savo broadcasting from number 11 dr martin lopin adabraka in accra we begin with politics the ndc scheduled this weekend for its primaries to elect a flag bearer and 276 constituency parliamentary candidates. And that's including what the party says is a new constituency it is hoping will be created, the Santrokofi Akpafu-Lolobi uh, constituency, that's um, SAL. But that election may not come off. If you go to citynewsroom.com, the latest story on that says dismiss Dufour's frivolous and incompetent suit. That's What the NDC is saying to the court, Ibrahima Maliba is director of legal affairs for the National Demo- Democratic Congress. Mr. Maliba, you're welcome to Eyewitness News.
4: Thank you for having me. Maru.
2: Before we even talk about the legal issues, I recall you had an interest in one of the parliamentary seats in the Upper East region. Are you still contesting or you, you, you've given up on that one?
4: You would have heard if I were contesting ah. at this 11th hour, you would have heard it. Oh, there no. A newsman, so you have heard it.
2: So, maybe you decided not to do media campaigns. I just, I'm just the answer
4: to your question is that I'm not contesting.
2: Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Forgive me, that was just an aside. Um, Mm -hmm. let's talk about what's happening in the courts. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dr. Dufour filed a suit um, asking that your your elections be postponed. Uh, Mm -hmm. you have gone to court today, even though we know that. It was supposed to be called, the case was supposed to be called on Monday. Walk us through what steps you took as a legal team for the parties uh, the suit came to your attention.
4: So, when we were served with the suit together with the um, application for injunction, the date on the application for injunction was fixed for 15th. But we felt that that would be beyond the 13th, which is our date for the Congress, the primary. And uh, the laws allow that uh, the rules of court allow that you can go for what is called an abridgment of time that is to bring the case forward. And so we did that yesterday by filing that application and uh, the application will be moved tomorrow and if God, uh, if if the judge is minded uh, and grants that application, then they will be asked to move the application for injunction and we will then also oppose it. So that's how it is.
2: Now, lots of legal terms you're using there. In simple layman's language, you are hoping tomorrow that the judge will agree with you that the case should be heard tomorrow. And if he agrees, then you will do the debate and then a decision will be made by the judge. All of that happening tomorrow.
4: That is so. You've, you've, You've nailed it.
2: Which means then that you're moving everything to Friday. And is it the substantive case you want to move tomorrow and debate or just the injunction bit on the suit? Just
4: the injunction application,
5: yes. Well, in- now we are dealing with the injunction application.
2: So the injunction is to prevent you from organizing the election because he That's believes true. that there are some challenges with the election. Now, if, if you succeed in getting the injunction taken off, it means you can go ahead with the election, but his issues will still pertain. But... The critical problem is that he's saying the the process is not fair. If the injunction is granted for you, and this is just a big if, um, and the election comes off, what then becomes of his substantive case?
4: So you've heard our, you you read a part of it, uh, our conclusion, which is that the issues brought to court are frivolous, mischievous, and vexatious, meaning that they have no substance and that no injury, has been caused to him. If that ag- argument is upheld, all the other things you are saying do not do not come into play. Uh-huh. Don't just carry any kind of case I call to court.
2: Does he not have a case which has been admitted by your party officers as recently as last night? I interviewed the youth organizer of your party, and he admitted that not every album has been given to Dr. Kabna dufour and that there were some eight outstanding which would have been given to him by last night. As to if that has happened, I do not know. But if the album has not been given to him, that cannot be frivolous, can it? So
4: if you were told by the youth organizer that the albums are ready, what is the matter now? You don't go to court. You only go and pick them. So that's how frivolous it can be.
2: They argue that you can't just deliver something to them and expect them to use that for an election which is, what, 72 hours away. They say that they need to cross-check the information, confirm that the details there are accurate before they proceed to the polls on Saturday, and that if the process is not good, the election will definitely not be good.
4: And we are saying that our guidelines do not even talk about photo albums. Our guidelines talk about delegates lists, which was given to them way back in April, I'm told 10th April. So, the register, the register, that will be used to conduct this election. is not a photo album, but rather a delegates list.
2: So, the party seeks to rely solely on the list and say that the album is inconsequential.
4: That's so, because once you appear at the grounds, the police station, with your... ID uh, voter ID card and they look into the register which is a delegate list and your name is there. Don't forget that your voter ID card has a picture of you. Once your name is there, you are good
5: to vote.
2: Yesterday when I interviewed Kofi Kukubo of the uh, Dr. Kwaabna Dufour camp, he said we should not belittle the significance of the album and that if it was not important for the election and the electoral process, the party would not have introduced it. Why do you want us to believe that the, the, the photo album is not necessary if because there is an, it, a list?
4: Because in all our elections from 1992 to today, we've never used uh, photo albums. We use delegate list. The one that you covered at the ACTAS post we use delegates list. And so, If it's not broken, you don't fix it. And so that delegates list is still the primary document. It's a register, actually.
2: So you are saying that the register... But if you knew that the register is all what you're going to rely on, why did you introduce the photo album? Who forced you?
4: And I'm saying that the custom, the convention in the party is that what has always been used is a delegates list. This is your question why we introduce it. does <laughs> not take away from the fact that the custom in the party has been that we, we use the delegates list and we think that that material has been given to them. What was all the, all the delegates, all the aspirants?
2: So, what was the purpose of the album then? Yes, for beautification purposes.
4: Well, it was to an augment and complement. But even without it, we still had our various elections in the past. As recent as uh, December last year, we had one which was credible uh, at the Accra's post. That's the list we used. Which means Nobody that. Nobody complains. Yes, but did you. We, any- were just trying to, we were just trying to introduce another layer. But it doesn't take away from the fact that. Using the delegates list still made our elections credible. It didn't take away the fact.
2: Did you communicate to any of the candidates prior to the elections that the album was just a complimentary feature which would have no role whatsoever or no bearing on the election's credibility? The
4: communication is in the guidelines which says that at the vetting candidates or aspirants who go through the vetting successfully must be given the delegates list so that communication was made to them the photo album i've indicated to you is the party's own creation to introduce another layer and so if we are attempting to introduce another layer and that layer is beginning to become problematic, we will go back to what has given us credibility all these years. Dr. Covenant, and and, and, and and we have not breached any re- rules because no mention of a photo album was in the rules. So we've not breached any rules. If, if we hadn't given them the register, which is the delegate list, that's where you say we've broken a rule.
2: If indeed this was a position and argument you were going to make, why then did you make frantic efforts to deliver the album to Dr. Krabna Dufour's camp as as, as as late as last night you were you were organizing files to deliver to him? If you thought it was not necessary, you could have just said to him, listen, uh, this thing is just uh, toppings that we are, we are adding to the election. We do not think it's really necessary. So just forget about it move on go use your register and work with that but you have shown efforts to deliver the album to him which means you found it very important and crucial and for you to have done it and worked against the clock yesterday uh, to deliver that to his office and constantly you have been engaging his team members on how possible way you're going to deliver to the, uh, the album to him means i really trusted that the album has to be part of the process Why then are you all of a sudden doing a U-turn on the album and ignoring it totally and relying solely on the register?
4: It is not necessary at your own waste because uh, in my submission, I never said that. So you, it is not necessary. Are your own words
2: now? No, I'm I'm interpreting what you have said. If no, you cannot. Uh, no, if you say if you say, but if you say, yeah, but if I said that you it have it implied supposed to be complementary. Yes, so which means
4: complementary doesn't mean that it is not necessary.
2: You are saying effectively so are your that own you are saying effectively that it does not need to be seen or or it does not need is not needed for it, the elections on Saturday.
4: In fact, if you want to hear what I've said, this is what I said. I said the photo album was supposed to be a complementary to the voter register and that the assumption that you can't vote if your name is not in the photo album is misconceived
2: so the election can happen without a photo album that is so. And so, we have done all our elections with our photo album. So that means the photo album is not necessary for the conduct oh, of the election.
4: Don't, don't go on that trajectory. As a political party, we sought to introduce another layer. In fact, the next election, we can introduce another one by using facial what, what is it, facial,
2: F- facial recognition. recognition. No problem. Uh-huh. So, so my question with, with that, again...
4: So if we... Mm. It, is, it is not to say that if you introduce another layer, the layer before that new layer did not work
2: for you no problem but a question i asked to remains relevant if you didn't think that and and i've used necessary you said you don't want to but i agree that it has to be necessary if you're saying that the album is not necessary for the saturday election why were you still trying to give him the album ahead of the election
4: the album is not a requirement of the regulations. Did you hear me say
2: that? Yes, you did. But why then? So so my point is that...
4: Under the regulations...
2: Yes, I get you. So my point is that if that is the case, that's the law, the practice, the norm, why then didn't you just say to him from day one... You cannot stop
4: the party from introducing another layer... No, no,
2: no. my that's not my question. My question is, if you are saying... That this is just a novelty you are introducing to your electoral yes.
6: process, yes,
2: and that with or without that novelty, you can still have a credible election, yes. And I'm saying that this candidate started contacting your office weeks, days ago, if not weeks ago, saying to you that you have not given me item B.
4: We have called them. I'm coming about up. That Just give me a second. Yes,
2: and he kept saying to you that I wanted item B. They sent you messages, they sent letters, and all of that. And you verbally assured them that you're going to deliver. And I'm saying that you have been doing that. And until yesterday, you said to us, you were left with only eight to deliver to them. You were giving them the, your, your word that you would deliver the files to them. I'm saying yes. that if these files were not necessary, you should have said to them from day one that, listen, this thing you are asking for is a bonus, but we are not even going to give it to you. In fact, we're campaigning, just rely on your register. Why didn't you do that? Why, Why did you do have you to wait to... till you go to court before you say to the court that, oh, this was an additional measure and we are not going to proceed any further?
4: Why do you want to force on me the word not necessary? I didn't say that. So you can't force that on me. It is to enhance the credibility of the elections. That is not to say that without it, the elections are not credible. It's to enhance so the introduction was to enhance, but that doesn't mean that without it, all previous elections and the last one that was held at the class was on the stadium was, on the, was not credible. So that is the answer to your question.
2: Okay, you're going to say to the court that we are begging you to let our election happen because this thing that this man is asking for was not it's not, it's not going to spoil the soup, necessarily. That's what you're going to say to the court. If the court says no, it means you cannot have your election for this weekend, correct?
4: When we get there, we'll cross the river. Let's, let's, let's be patient to hear what the court will say. And then afterwards, I'm around. Uh, uh, you can still call me tomorrow after the court hearing for us to tell you our next line of action.
2: Um, Let me introduce the Electoral Commission part. The Electoral Commission has written to say that it cannot take part in the elections of Saturday because of the injunction. Practically, how are you looking at what you're hoping to happen tomorrow to be like? If the court grants you, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if the court grants your your request tomorrow, you are still positive and sure. because I've seen the party's official statement this morning. You are hoping that if the court grants it tomorrow, you still carry out with the elections on Saturday. That's your hope. Clearly,
4: that would mean that the, the way is clear for us to hold our election
2: on Saturday. And the practicalities involved, have you considered that? How are you, you going to the up? difficulty?
4: What is the difficulty?
2: The Electoral Commission. Um,
4: says, that, says what? Do you have clearance? The
2: Electoral,
4: the Electoral Commission cannot refuse to conduct the elections if the, if the court lifts the application or dismisses the application. It's a public institution. It's not a personal possession. And so they are mandated to decide their duties. And we have entered into an agreement with them. So it will amount to a breach of uh, that
7: agreement.
2: Just by way of education, um, can you hold your election without the EC's involvement so that you can you can conduct your election and whether or not EC is involved, it will still be a credible election for for our general well, elections.
4: Well, under the uh, the Political Parties Act, the EC is only mandated to conduct elections for executive position. So that is the constitutional executives, that is the regional executives, and the national executive. And you saw them at a class position. You know. The EC is not mandated necessarily to conduct elections for primaries. So if that is where you are coming from, yes, that is the answer.
2: Which means that you can organize your own internal elections on Saturday and it will still be relevant. And it, it,
4: it, it will still be relevant and lawful because, in fact, if you are aware, most of the smaller parties in, in conducting their primaries do it all by themselves. All they do is after that, they present the person for nomination
5: at the EC and that is valid.
2: Now, if the EC goes ahead with this decision not to support you even after the victory tomorrow in court, that's if you get a victory tomorrow, would you have to sue them? Because they are not, are they obligated? They are not, right? They are just helping you. So if they say no, what happens?
4: No, at this point, they have no option because we have already entered into an agreement with them. And so they have to specifically perform uh, we've with part of money. Uh, they've taken our money. And so uh, at this point, it's no more optional.
2: I see. Even if they say that 24 hours to the election logistically it would be difficult for them.
4: We'll help them to uh, <laughs> do what they want to do. What they want to do, if we are capable of helping them, and I'm here talking about if it's about the distribution of the, of the ballot papers and the ballot materials. We have airports dotted around this country. There's Tamale, there's Ho, there's uh, Sunai, there's Wa. And so these materials can fly. Indeed, the officers in Accra, the EC officers in Accra, are not the ones who are going to conduct the elections at uh, Wa or any constituency in Wa. There are officers there who take over the material and conduct the election. So that statement from uh, from uh, Doctor Ribau is unfortunate. And she stopped speaking that way. That statement was premature. because it's a matter in court. Until that matter is disposed of, so you don't speak in such terms as if the electoral commission is your backyard. You don't talk like that.
2: Actually, if it's, re- it's Ribau Kwaku's comments that I was I was trying to just refer I know to that's you. where you are
4: coming from, mm. and I don't mean to. So I'll go
2: straight to it before you get there. So you're saying to him that he is obligated to... I'm telling to...
4: him that he's obligated and he she stops speaking off on top of his head without consulting, without also uh, tempering his language. Because it, 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 it goes to further deepen the suspicion that as a party we have against the issue. There's a matter in court. The matter has not yet been disposed of. And you are already saying that even if the court grants or dismisses the application, you are not ready to work. Have you asked us whether we can assist you? And we said no.
2: If So he should be warned. If his if comes to pass and you secure victory tomorrow and he says... Because he's a significant member of the commission and, and, and maybe he's speaking for and on behalf of the commission because the EC has not come out to deny that that's a position. Even though we've seen Jim Manson's earlier statement yesterday and that statement came before his interview... And since the EC has not dismissed it, there's a possibility that that's going to be the party's position. If that becomes a party's position, it looks like your elections for this weekend is in a big trouble.
4: The party has issued a statement, and that statement is clear that Saturday the elections are coming off. All this is dependent and conditioned on what will happen tomorrow. So let's not jump the gun. Let's not open our mouths too wide like the uh, has done which i'm against Wait till the matter is dealt with tomorrow in court then we cannot proceed and we we'll know we we'll now know what can be done and what cannot be done but you don't behave like you are a king god and already issuing a threat you don't do that
2: finally what happens um the injunction is on the presidential elections does it also affect the parliamentary elections
4: it doesn't so it doesn't yeah. the the there are two separate elections. However, under our guidelines, we are saying that the two will be will be taken the same day.
2: The two elections will be taken the same day. Is there a possibility that if the court doesn't go in your favour, you can carry out the parliamentary elections and ignore the presidential for now?
4: That's a decision to be taken by the national executive and uh, the national executive committee. It doesn't lie in my mouth to determine what will be done.
2: Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, Omaro. That's Ibrahim Amaliba. He's Director of Legal Affairs uh, for the National Democratic Congress, NDC. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city 973 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ct973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ct973, with the hashtag Eyewitness News.
2: You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFN. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Let's read some of the messages you've been sending through. Uh, Daniel Atia in Dansuman says, uh, Dr. Dufour and the unseen hands manipulating the NDC's internal election shall fail. Massive defeat awaits him, whether rain or shine. Uh, Abin National in Wah says, In fact, I'm disappointed in Dr. Dufour. He will never get my vote again. Alex Kofi Yarini uh, in Adenta Commandos says, "Our advice a looming, losing. Wow. Uh, that's a, some rhyme there. A play on words. He says, I will advise the looming losing Dufour campaign uh, to join GM campaign team to rescue Ghanaians from this destructive NPP government. Togby Dennis says, why can't um, the party proceed to have the election for parliamentary candidates and defer the presidential candidate voting? Zilis Dwayne in London says, um, um it's incredible the legal tassel that Dufour's camp is engaging the NDC in. Everybody knows it's practically impossible for Dr. Dufour to win this contest. The idea that there are machinations to rig the election is untenable. Uh, we've made attempts to speak to Dr. Sri Wokwaku of the Electoral Commission. Uh, he would say he says to us that he would only speak after the decision of the court tomorrow. However, he's been quoted variously as saying, and you've heard Amaliba refer there to it, that uh, they would not conduct the election on Saturday, even if the NDC were to succeed. In court, We called him up and he says he will not speak until the court makes a determination tomorrow. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's go to some very sad news now. And uh, we are told that uh, nine children drowned in a water body in the by Municipality. They were travelling to school on a canoe. Calvis is a correspondent in the Central Region who also covers that part of the Great Accra Region for us. Calvis, you're welcome to Eyewitness News.
8: Uh, thank you, Marisanda.
2: Tell us what happened yesterday.
8: Well, uh, Sanda, you know, um, around 5 p.m. Uh, late yesterday, uh, these children, numbering about 12, are closed from school, heading towards home. Uh, according to some of the survivors I spoke so to, there is this individual who usually carries them with a boat uh, to their various homes. You know, the, the incident happened around Weaboman. Weaboman is a community where the Estuary from the Wager Dam connects to the sea in that portion of the area. So, Mm -hmm. normally they use canoes to carry people from one end of the community to Fana, another community close to Weaboman. Fana community has no uh, school. So, these children commute from Fana on a daily basis to Weaboman to access education. So, on that day, there's this individual who usually carries them. But on that day, that individual uh, is both developed for. And uh, he couldn't carry the children for about uh, three to four days. So when the children closed from school yesterday, uh, there was this uh, young individual at the age of thirteen who was uh, who was having a boat and on uh, I mean, plying the, the estuary. So uh, the school student asked him whether he could he could drop them off at a uh, Fana, the community next to Yabu Man. The individual said yes, he could drop them off. So there were number of us the the. The, high, the, 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 the oldest among them was 13 years old, a female. She survived the incident. They were on the on, on the boat uh, uh, heading towards Fahna. At a point, they realized that the tidal waves hit the canoe they were using, uh, forcing the boat to The smallest among the children, umar Sanda is one and a half years old. They all drowned, leaving eight, eight, individua- eight individual sorry, drowned in the process as of, as of yesterday. It was this morning that the ninth person was recovered. So the bodies of eight individuals, including a one-and-a-half-year-old, a a one-year, one-month child, also drowned in the process. He had closed from crash heading towards home. You know, so the situation here is a bit sad, Uh, Sander. Just imagining these innocent uh, teenagers, uh, six years, seven, eight, nine, ten, to thirteen years old, uh, flying the road to their homes after education and then they got drowned in the process. Residents around are rushing in to rescue the three other individuals who were not able to drown, the 13-year-old, including the, the 13 who was, also, who was also using the boat on the estuary. He didn't drown. So the, the individuals from the community, after hearing that, the boat had capsized, had to rush in, and then save the ones who had not drowned. I was in the community this morning with the traditional authorities. They managed to retrieve the body of the, the last victim, making, the, uh, making nine. This morning, around 12, 12 in the afternoon they perform the traditional rites, and then subsequently they have handed the body over to the authorities for, for, for burial. So as we speak now, the place is calm. Yes, that persons in the community are not happy that uh, such an incident that happened. They, their worry is that um, authorities, you know, the Fana and then the Yabong community falls within two municipalities, the Gasouth municipality and then the Wajagbawi municipality. Fana in the Gasouth municipality we have a man in the wedagbawe municipality these communities from what i know and what i have seen uh, they are saying they have been they have been they have been abandoned by uh, authorities because the community is mm-hmm. not closer to town i mean it's a fishing community these two communities are fishing communities because they are closer to the sea uh, but i spoke to the Chief executive for wedagbawe and he tells me that i mean They they, have been a witness to it that they have gone to the community to construct a hospital which is yet to be completed and some other facilities to make sure that the people who are at that side of the uh, constituency uh, have access to basic amenities of life. Um, I, after speaking to the minister chief executive, he tells me that even to the extent that those people there, they are not paying taxes because I mean it's the community they are trying to just uh, bring them to light because they they are, I mean they are, they are now trying to. Uh, make sure that everything is put in order in that community. But Umar Rizanda, the issue is that the people in the community are not happy that uh, Nadmo and all those people didn't rush on time to uh, help them when the incident happened. Sander.
2: Very sad. Do you know if the rescue efforts are over and there's a decision that nobody else will be left in the water by now, or they are still looking for parents' bodies in the water?
8: Well, Sander, um you know, these two children are from two schools within the MPS. Uh, they were four in number from the school we checked from both schools. So uh, from what I have, they have all been rescued from the uh, the estuary. Nine dead, and then two, uh, three who survived, a uh, female, and then two individuals who were on, on on the boat. As we speak now, the community is calm, but they are in a state of mourning as a result of the incident. And, uh,
2: do you know also if this is the first time something like this is happening or is happened before in the in the municipality?
8: Well, Sandra, this is not the first time such an incident is happening. I spoke to some uh, persons in the community and they tell me that about two weeks ago, they found a the body of a white male individual, obviously a foreigner, uh, lying on the shores of Rehobo Man, and that they tried as much as possible to contact the municipal assembly both municipal assemblies, the police come to the aid to uh, at least ascertain the identity of this person and then, uh, I mean, subsequently, if a barrier will be, take place. This is not the first person they have identified. There have been several of them and they are, to, they are forced to bury them on the shores of the, the, the estuary because nobody comes to identify them. You know, the, 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 the Weabman community connects to Glefe in Dansoman. So the sea connects from that area. So somebody might drown in, in, in Dansoman and then the sea will carry that person to to, to a man that coming so they might bury the person without even knowing the identity of the person according to them they have buried as much as 15 individuals who have who have been washed ashore by the sea you know and this is sad. To, so to i'm rela- I'm,
2: re- I'm relating specifically to the issue of the transportation where a canoe or a boat capsizes is that a regular occurrence or this is one of
6: well
8: Sandra, this is a uh, a regular occurrence uh, a resident told a resident tells me that uh, on regular basis, they carry them from one end to another end. There had been just two weeks ago, an individual, about a 15-year-old boy, who was almost who was about to write his BEC, got drowned in the process. He's been buried. One woman tells me that uh, the individual went to the, the estuary, was crossing to school. Unfortunately, he got drowned. The, the boat capsized, but that was on the low key. And so it, it is something that has been happening. But this is of a huge magnitude standard.
2: Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. That's Calvis He's our correspondent in the Central Region, bringing us um, updates on the accident in the Bawe municipality uh, that claimed the lives of nine school children. Patrick Kumo is a municipal chief executive for Weijakbawe. Uh, Mr. MC, you're welcome to Eyewitness News.
9: Good evening, my brother. How are you?
2: Um, well, very, very sad news coming through from your municipality. Um, is it the case that these two towns are not connected by road, and the only means of transport is canoe, for which reason we saw what we saw.
9: Yeah, thank you so very much. Uh, before, let me uh, send my sincere condolences to the affected families, and then also let me use this opportunity to greet your cherished uh, listeners. Um, you see, the Fana area, which falls directly under the Gasaw municipal Assembly, is a sort of an island. Okay, we have almost about three islands around that area, and these islands are mostly habited by uh, this uh, fish food, farmers who have just settled on them to go about their daily activities. Uh, the, there is no electricity, there is no power around, sorry, there's no water and electricity around those areas. So mostly they commute from there to my as well as the Riaboman area for school, and also some also extend to Glyfe in the Datsuman area. So basically it's it's sort of an island which has been deserted for years, but is being occupied now by fishermen who ply their trade around that area.
2: So the area has no amenities, school not existence, and that's not in your municipality. So the children come to school in your municipality? Absolutely so. And this is something that has happening, been happening all the time. Um, how safe do you know um, is this transportation method that they, they use?
9: Uh, you see, what happened yesterday is very unfortunate um, because uh, the information we picked this very morning was that uh, the boat was overloaded with minors. Hence, the person who was handling the boat is a 12-year-old boy who has no, uh, who had no experience as to operating such a thing. We got information that the person who normally does the transporting of this case fell ill, so he was not at post yesterday to assist them. So this John man just voluntarily came in to assist. That brought about this whole thing. And that section, that is the estuary. That is where the Dinsu River uh, enters the sea. And you know in the evening the tides from the sea goes up, for which you shall have some waves and some currents around those areas. So if you're not experienced, you shall have challenges at uh, that area. And you having a minor as low as one and a half year on board with other minors. The least with that comes in might just get them to panic and it might call studies that happened yesterday. It's very regrettable, and then I believe that uh, moving forward, uh, we'll have to take a critical look at that area and see what can be done to solve the switching moving forward.
2: Which is actually uh, going to be my next question. So what's the, what are the steps forward?
9: Yes. Yeah, so now the two assemblies, I mean, that area falls under Gasol. We will have to go and ascertain whether those people residing in those areas will still have to be allowed to leave there or we need to move them from that area because it's not a, a, a habitable area at all. Those are all wetlands that they've gone there to put those structures to leave. The population that we have around those areas covers around 350 to 500 inhabitants, living in uh, these uh, touch houses uh, with mud houses and all of that. So it's not an area that has been really demarcated for habitation. So those investigations will be done and then, of course, we'll see the way forward. But with the interim, we'll have to get a, an operator to be there to assist them whilst we look into the future as to the, the long-term solution. These are things that we'll be doing after our uh, visit to the family uh, tomorrow. Then, of course, we can see the way forward.
2: So because the settlement is almost illegal, I cannot even ask you if it will make sense to provide them with a school because... They are not supposed to be there in the first place. So definitely government should not be sending a school there, correct?
9: Yes, for now that is what it is because it's not an, it's not an it's not a, it's not illegal settlement. But then we also have to go and see the population, as I just mentioned, and see if need, there will be the need for us to uh, send those amenities there. Okay. But as I said, in the interim, we'll have to provide a means of transport and some life jackets for them to... So that
2: it. interim is my concern. Is it that NADMO is going to dedicate a boat to them or the Assembly will buy a boat and put it there and put a rider on it? <laughs> How yes, do,
9: this, uh, this are the, these are the dynamics we're looking at. Uh, tomorrow, the, a team from the NADMO head office, the regional minister, the two assemblies, and some opinion leaders will be visiting the family. Then after, a committee will be put in place to really ascertain the, 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 the lasting solution that needs to be provided for that area. And I believe at the end, whatever that will be agreed on will be something that will need to the benefits of the people around that
2: area. Very well. The last time I saw you, we were on a boat together, uh, you and I, traveling island communities in your municipality following the the opening of the Wager Dam yeah. floodgates. Yes. The, the water company has warned that it will be opening the floodgates very soon and asking people to move. But for what you and I observed at that time was that people will really be obstinate and they will not move from the, from, the, from the zone that the water would ordinarily flow through. What is the situation now? Has it been opened? Have people agreed to move from the area because we do not want another disaster?
9: Yes, yeah, so uh, Ghana Water has, uh, we've had a stakeholders meeting, communication has been sent around. The assemblies have also moved information vans to the various communities that are mostly affected uh, to ward them off those areas. But as you always know, we still have some recast from people who will still be sitting there and looking at what will happen. But then the good news is that uh, Ghana Water has devised a strategy uh, of which they have reduced their minimum level of operation from 48 to 47, which gives us some room to monitor and spill at a very low rate, which will not create some havoc in the municipality. But this will also depend on the, 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 the rains that comes in from the eastern region. If we overwhelm overwhelmed with rains, coming in, and of course, we might have some few challenges. Where we need to distill and open uh, dredges, all have been done. reason why, if you can, if you get to the the Riyabuman section of the estuary is very active now. They are spilling two gates at the moment. So, you still have some water traveling into the sea. So, that might have also created some sort of uh, current, undercurrent around that area, of which a year or who has no experience will be able to maneuver around that area, which led to the accident.
2: All right. Thank you for speaking to us and uh, our condolences to you as a municipality.
9: Thank you so very much for the audience. We
2: appreciate it. That's Patrick Kumo, his municipal chief executive for Weja Gbawe. We do have more on this story, don't we, Eno?
3: Yes, we do. So education think tank, Africa Education Watch, has reiterated the need for the Ghana Education Service to supply life jackets to all pupils in island communities. In a statement cited by City News, Africa Education Watch said the Ministry of Gender, Children and Social Protection should liaise with relevant local authorities to strengthen safety compliance.
10: Today's devastating news about the painful death of nine children who drowned under similar circumstances is very unfortunate and completely avoidable if the GEs acted responsibly on our recommendations. It is unacceptable that within a space of four months, in only two districts, 17 poor children have lost their lives in their quest to claim their right to basic education. We reiterate our call to the GES, Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Gender, Children and Social Protection, to develop a roadmap towards immediately providing life jackets for pupils and teachers in island communities, Liaise with the relevant local authorities to strengthen health and safety compliance and construct schools in island communities. Parliamentary oversight on this matter is very much required.
3: You heard excerpts of a statement released by education think tank Africa Education Watch, read by my colleague Ni Aikwe Okain.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973, with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're hey, welcome back. This
2: Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. FM. Uh, Capital Bank used to be one of our commercial banks in the country. It collapsed. Well, the government intervened. And after that intervention uh, leading to the collapse, the government also thought that whoever was responsible for the collapse ought to be dealt with. One of the persons that the government took to court over that matter uh, was then the founder of that bank, and um, he was running the bank, Atu Atoisian. The court tried a case for many years. There was a decision to be made, and just before the determination was made, uh, which would determine whether he's guilty or not. There was a, an application that was brought before the judge, which said that there should be some uh, payment to be made to, be the, to the state instead of um, the, the gentleman who is accused going to jail. That has happened. He was supposed to make some payment. The payment not coming through. The state has gone back to the court saying jail at 2 for us. Afretien Ebois is a deputy attorney general. Sir, you're welcome to eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. I think it was two months or three months ago I was in court watching you argue for the state that you have come to an agreement with Emmanuel Atwesien for some money to be paid so that the judge will not send him to Nsua- Akusi. Uh On that day, it looked like the two of you, the two parties were on the one side. The judge was not happy, but he had to uh, oblige. What's happening now? You're asking the judge to jail the same man you were saying the judge should not jail.
11: Yes, thank you very much. It is true that somewhere in December, there was an agreement between both parties. That that is the accused person and the republic. And you know by simple law of contract, if you have any agreement, you are supposed to respect that agreement. So we are now in a situation where one party has decided not to respect the terms of the agreement. And for that matter, we on the other side have taken upon ourselves to also vindicate our rights
2: so when you say he's not respected, the money was supposed to be up to 90 million CDs, I think it was.
11: He has yeah, not paid yeah. even one CD? The original amount was 90 million. He paid 30 million in December, the very day, that two days before the decision was taken. And then it was even a year, one year, to pay the remaining 60 million. But he was to pay in three equal installments. The first installment became payable on the 28th of April, and that was they were supposed to have paid $20 million Ghana cities. On the 28th, 5 p.m., we checked from the accountant general's office and no payment had been made. Monday 1st was a holiday. Second, we had a letter from the accountant general confirming that no payment had been made. So on the 2nd of May, we found application before the court, praying to the court, to sentencing to
2: prison. So it is for non-payment of the first tranche. Um, you are not even waiting for the second tranche to be due. You, you you initially, you just went to court after he failed to pay the first tranche. Has he responded to you since he went to court? There was an action today, wasn't there? Yes. Did he say to uh, the judge that, oh, he'll pay or he won't pay? What did he say? What's his argument?
11: Yes. His lawyer also filed an application Explaining why the amount will not be paid. And also explaining to the court that if you look at Section 35 of the Course Act, there should be a possibility of extending a time to a convict. And then our argument was that no, under Section 35, the operative word used there, the 35 7, is shall. Means mandatory, and the judge himself does not even have the discretion to extend time for him to come and then perhaps renegotiate with us. We also made it clear that the state, so far as we are concerned, he has not taken advantage of the agreement that we had, and for that matter, the only option left is to pronounce Castoria's sentence on him. The court listened to both sides and came to the conclusion that, yes. Application that they had filed was on some applied was going to grant the court refused the application, so we're going back to court on Wednesday to move our application seeking uh, bring to the court for him to be sentenced into prison
2: The time you were arguing in the courtroom for the judge not to jail him, among other things, you talked about how much money we are going to make as a state, so jailing him would just mean we have to spend more money buying him food and feeding him in prison. But if we make him pay, that's more beneficial to us. Why don't you maybe find another way of coercing him or even pleading with him to pay so that we don't go have an extra prisoner and someone that will be paying for, instead of getting money?
11: Section 35 of the Courts Act is a provision specially made for an accused person who may want to take advantage of repaying an amount of money that he's being charged with, if the offense has to do with causing financial loss or a loss to the state. That session does not give room for an accused person to renegotiate. It's true that we need money as a state, but it's equally true that if you are convicted by a court and you are given the opportunity to pay and refuse to pay, the state should not, under any circumstance, try to encourage you to pay because you are supposed to pay. So, we will not take any step to motivate him or to coerce him to pay. is rather under an obligation to pay. So, if he has chosen not to pay, then perhaps the law will have to work. And that's how, that's how we are looking at it.
2: Very well. Thank you so much. We'll return to the courts uh, to, to observe what happens next. Thank you for speaking to us, sir. Thank you. That's Deputy Attorney General Alfred Tian This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Up next, we have Business News, and then there will be Point blank. Please stay with us.
0: Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 With the hashtag Eyewitness News Eyewitness News, be there as it happens Get the details, every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be
7: informed.
3: Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar Let's settle for the details. An economist, Courage Boti, has stated that banks will have to thread cautiously if they have to lower their lending rates to businesses. He explained that this will ensure they do not suffer further losses. This comes on the back of an appeal by the central bank for banks in the country to cut lending rates to the private sector as inflation continues on a downward path. Inflation has dropped for the fourth consecutive time falling to 41.2% for the month of April 2023 from the 45% recorded in March 2023. Courage Boti has been speaking to City Business News.
12: There are merits for the call, but there are also considerations that need to be had at the bank level, case by case, to determine the appropriate cost of action. Really. The reason is this, yes, inflation has obviously uh, declined. But then, what is banks' cost of capital? And of course, what is the rate, the indicator rate they would get from the bank of if they have to tap liquidity from there? At 295 almost 30%. So they have a bit of cost on that side if they have to depend on the central bank's um, financing. You look at the under parameter, the interbank reference rate has declined sharply from about thirty two percent to now twenty six point four five in May. And so that that decline also could uh, support the argument for maybe reduction in in in, in lending rates. The decline, I believe, is largely due to the government forcing down T bill yields uh, from the 35% levels to wherever they are now. So that argument could be valid from those points of view. But the fact that banks also face higher cost of funds if they have to borrow from the central bank, and again the fact that we are in a slow growth environment where the risk of default is very high for most of these. Um, corporate entities. There is a bit of uncertainty in investing in the real sector. And so, and you put it right, with the losses they've suffered and the need to protect capital, uh, you would want to play cautious. And that is why it will not be a straightforward decision.
3: That was economist courage, Boti speaking there. Now the Executive Director of Energy Think Tank Africa Centre for Energy Policy Ben Benwachi is calling on the government to institute critical reforms within the energy sector to ensure economic growth. This comes on the back of the 2022 Annual Public Interest and Accountability Committee PIAC report on management and use of petroleum revenue which indicates that Ghana fled a total of 25.3 billion cubic feet of natural gas leading to some losses. Ben Bwachi has been speaking on the issue.
7: Yes, so that is
5: another conversation. So we have invested money, about $180 million, to build the infrastructure to reverse gas to the east. But if you still don't produce enough, you don't have enough to be able to transport to meet shortfalls if they happen, because you're always going to have these challenges. It's known. That intermittency operationalizing the pipeline, once in a while, you have a compressor failure, you have problems, and you will need to have an alternative. So, if we had enough in the west, in the enclave, you could then pump that to the east for uh, the plants in the east to be able to uh, utilize uh, those gas uh, for power generation. But because we don't have enough, uh, we are flaring what we're actually producing. Uh, then that means that we still have to wait for Nigeria to kick off before we can have uh, 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 enough gas to, to generate. I just always think that we're getting the policy actions wrong, and that is why we are where we are. I mean, for example, if you have I that is producing and being the most consistent producer, you could as well tell them to say that, let's do the, uh, the minimal investment we need to do to improve your output so that even if you are doing 200 mm scarf a day, you have a throughput capacity of about 400 MMs That allows you to pump in more gas when we need it.
3: Ben Boachi is the Executive Director of the Africa Center for Energy Policy, (ACEP). Away from that, the Association of Chartered Accountants, ACCA, is urging players within the space and organizations to embrace integrated financial reporting to offer innovative solutions to meet the needs of their clients. According to the association, an integrated financial report will enable investors and other key stakeholders stakeholders make informed decisions geared towards economic growth. These comments were made by the global president of ACCA, Joseph Owulabi, in a media interaction on the sidelines of the ACCA Business Forum in Okra.
13: One are the days where in financial reporting, you're thinking silo, and you're just thinking about your finance or your account unit and churning out the reports end of month or end of year. With integrated reporting, you have to connect all of the organization. So from strategy, procurement, marketing, engineering, uh, uh, all of these units need to talk to each other. Because how do you know strategy? You need to talk to the board. You need to talk to senior management. How do you know the risk? You need to talk to the risk department. How do you know the opportunities? You need to talk to sales. So, integrated reporting is also an opportunity for the organization to actually become connected as a whole. So everybody comes to the same page, they connect the dots, they understand how the business model of the organization needs to evolve into the future to take advantage of uh, the opportunities and address risks. So it's very important to think about this as a multi-stakeholder initiative. Not just the finance uh, unit, but the finance, uh, the accountant, the finance professionals can drive that change. We can lead that change because we understand reporting and we are the custodians of reporting. So, by in- incorporating integrated report into it, it allows investors to understand not just how the banks are doing or the telecoms or your digital companies or agriculture, but they see the story, they see how agriculture is impacting communities.
3: That was the global president of ACCA, Joseph Obulabi. Finally, despite missing a timeline for securing the $3 billion economic bailout from the International Monetary Fund, IMF, the government has given the strongest indication that it will soon secure the loan. The government is racing against time to receive access to the loan from the IMF, which is expected to cushion the country from the current economic crisis. Government has also embarked on an aggressive domestic debt exchange program and also introduced more taxes aimed at boosting its revenue mobilization as part of requirement to secure the bailout. Information Minister Kojo Pongkuma assured that government will be cleared for the support as it has met all the requirements.
1: So right now we are just waiting to be taken to the board to get board approval. Yes, we've missed by one month, that's April. Now we are in May, and we keep our fingers crossed that we will be getting to the board as quickly as possible. The indications we get from within the corridors of power at the fund suggest that um, we should be getting there soon. Well, I'm not going to put timelines to it. I think we have done our part of it. The prior actions included the domestic. It didn't include the external. So the domestic, we have concluded that. Um, we have concluded the passage of the revenue measures and then the other prior actions, the 0% financing with the central bank. We've done all of this. Okay. Out of um, the prior actions. We need financing assurances. We have reason to believe that having completed the, the things that we were supposed to do, those uh, financing assurances um, should be coming before the IMF board. And once we get the approval, we can close the chapter on the balance of payment support side. All indications suggest to us that we should be bringing that to a closure pretty soon. But that will only be balance of payment support from the IMF. I think 1.4 billion in the first year, 800, 800 in the next two years. But that is not the panacea to all our economic challenges. We have um, a seven part program known as the post crisis program for economic growth, which has this balance of payment part as one of the pillars.
3: Kojo Pongkuma is the Minister of Information and that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. I'm Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank.
0: Eyewitness News. Be there as it
7: happens.
2: It's 25 minutes to 1900 GMT. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandam. Tonight on Point Blank, we're talking about the extractives industry, our uh, natural resources. there's a speech that was delivered by the President Nanadu addo at the opening of a natural resource stakeholders dialogue in Accra. Uh, the program he announced, I mean, the President. Now, the government has plans to ban the wholesale exportation of bauxite and iron ore. The move, according to the president, is aimed at protecting the country's limited natural resources and learning from the mistakes of gold exportation. Listen.
14: Today, most of the things we use, from electricity to smartphones and to the vehicles we derive, are derived from the exploitation of natural resources. The lives and livelihoods of millions of our citizenry depend on these natural resources. It is often said that, quote, without natural resources, life itself is impossible, unquote. As far back as 1952, when most parts of our continent were still under colonial rule, the United Nations, in its Declaration on Permanent Sovereignty over Natural Resources, Encouraged underdeveloped nations to exploit and use their natural resources for economic development. The question, therefore, is not whether to exploit our natural resources or not, but how to exploit these resources sustainably for national development. This is a historical problem, not only in our country, but also across our continent. Undoubtedly, our continent is blessed with a lot of natural resources. After centuries of exploitation, Africa still holds some 30% of the world's mineral reserves and even higher proportions of gold, diamond, bauxite, and manganese. But the contribution of these resources to our socioeconomic development has been underwhelming. To say the least, with all these resources, we should have been the richest continent in the world. The sad irony, however, is that Africa remains the poorest continent on the planet. Recent data from the World Bank shows that some 60% of the world's extreme poor live in sub-Saharan Africa with most resource-rich countries on our continent being amongst the poorest in the world, even though they are home to huge deposits of iron ore, diamonds, the largest rutile manganese and bauxite reserves in the world, the largest producers of cobalt, second-largest producers of industrial diamonds, and fifth-largest producers of copper. Worst of all, many of the areas where these resources are found appear to be amongst the most deprived areas in the world. In our country, for example, Obwase, which for years hosted the richest gold mine in the world, remains largely underdeveloped. The story is no different from other areas such as Takwa, Prestia, Wasa, and Bibiani, which has for centuries being the attraction for adventurers and fortune-seekers. The truth is that we have not always done well in negotiations with the companies that exploit our natural resources. Among other things, such as corruption, incompetence, and political instability, we have been mostly short-sighted in these negotiations and thus end up settling for less. And worse still, We have until recently failed to put in place the requisite frameworks which will enable us to establish the highest ends of the value chains of the extractive industries in our continent. Extensive tax and royalty exemptions, intolerable labor practices and lack of value addition in country have resulted in exceptional profits to mining companies At the expense of our communities, towns, cities, and countries. We cannot repeat these mistakes. While it is fully understood that mining companies must make profits from their businesses, it is important that this is not done at the expense of the lands and the peoples that provide these resources. Ladies and gentlemen, we must and should harness our natural resources for sustainable development. This requires us to ensure that the exploitation of these resources does not destroy the natural environment that provides us with substance. We must ensure that mining contracts address issues of environmental protection, the payment of adequate compensation to affected communities, and the development of the areas where these resources are derived we must find a lasting solution to illicit financial flows associated with the natural resources sector. The Washington-based Global Financial Integrity Think Tank, for example, reports that out of some $1 United States dollars in illicit financial flows from the continent between 1970 and 2008, The extractive industry was the major contributor, largely through corruption, illegal exploitation, and tax evasion. We cannot develop sustainably if this continues. We must tackle head-on the issues of illegalities in the extractive sector, including illegal mining and illegal logging, which have over the years been a source of destruction of our waters our forests, water bodies, and arable lands, and which have deprived us of the resources needed for development. This is a collective responsibility. Government has its role, but government's efforts will come to naught if we all fail to do our part in this exercise. To quote the words of the celebrated American playwright, Ida Leshan, quote, Until every individual feels personally responsible for the careful planning and the preservation of natural resources, the inexorable destruction will go on, I do not say these to check the responsibility of government, but to emphasize that the protection and preservation of our natural resources requires an all-hands-on-deck approach. The due exploitation of these resources has the potential to transform our country and indeed our continent. As some of you may know, for several years, the extractive sector has been the largest tax base of our country, apart from providing thousands of employment to several young men and women. The truth, however, is that over the years we have not benefited optimally from these resources, due to our over-dependence on the export of raw products. There is no gainsaying the fact that the real value of natural resources lies in their value addition. The value of the global aluminum aluminum industry, for example, from bauxite mining through alumina smelting and aluminum production, is estimated to be in excess of 180 billion United States dollars annually. But raw bauxite accounts for only 7.6% of this market, whilst the remaining 92.3% is generated from processed bauxite. This case is not different from those of gold, iron ore, manganese, diamond, cobalt, or lithium. Indeed, currently, African countries involved in the production of lithium are said to be making just about 10% of the entire value chain of the electric battery industry. This is why government has prioritized local content and local participation, as well as value addition in the natural resources sector to ensure that we derive optimal benefits from these God-given resources. Let me acknowledge the Ghana Chamber of Mines, the Ghana Institute of Foresters, the Ghana Institution of Surveyors, and all other stakeholders for their cooperation in the implementation of these policies, and call on the Ghana Chamber of Mines to expedite work on the listing of their members on the Ghana Stock Exchange. Through the Ghana Integrated Aluminum Development Corporation GEARBEC, established in 2018, we're working to ensure value addition in our bauxite resources through refining, smelting, aluminum production, as well as production of other downstream aluminum products. I've been briefed that the four-project agenda of GearDeck, which I launched in 2021, is progressing steadily, with Projects 2, 3, and 4 approved by Cabinet and at different stages of implementation. Project one is still under negotiations and will come before cabinet soon for its approval. The implementation of this four project agenda is expected to optimize production in the upstream industry and spur production and job creation in the downstream sector. With an estimated bauxite resource base of over 900 million metric tons, this sector can serve as an anchor for the country's industrialization if we continue to pursue value-added policies. We're doing the same with our iron ore resources through the Ghana Integrated Iron and Steel Development Corporation, GizDEC, initiated in 2019. With global automotive giants such as Toyota, Nissan, Volkswagen, Suzuki, and truck, all established here in our country, developing an integrated iron and steel industry, along with an integrated aluminum industry, is not just desirable, but also necessary for the development we yearn. We cannot forget lithium and the other green minerals which have been described as the minerals of the future due to their importance to the green energy transition. Fortunately for us, we have discovered lithium in commercial quantities and occurrences of cobalt, nickel, copper, lead, zinc, and chromium in the country. We should not do with these minerals what we have done with our gold resources over the years. I'm happy to learn The Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, under the dynamic leadership of its brilliant young minister, the Honorable Samuel abu Jinapo, Member of Parliament for Damango, is finalizing a policy document for the exploitation and utilization and management of these crucial minerals for the consideration of Cabinet in the next few weeks. I assure you that we'll do whatever it takes to ensure that the exploitation and utilization of these green minerals are done not only in an environmentally sound manner, but also in a way that ensures optimal benefit to the people of Ghana. This we will never compromise. Indeed, by Section 28 of the Giardat Law and Section 30 of the Gisdag Law, the Minister for Lands and Natural Resources is empowered to make regulations to ensure that no bauxite or iron ore in their raw state is exported out of the country after five years of the coming into force of these laws. With the policies and measures we are putting in place, we intend to invoke these provisions of our laws, and soon bauxite and iron ore will no longer be exported in their raw state from the country. We will ensure that the highest values of these minerals is retained in our country. We have, through a public-private partnership, established a 400-kilogram-per-day capacity refinery to refine the gold we produce. Work is progressing steadily on securing a London Bullion Market Association, LBMA, certification, to enable us to trade easily our refined gold on the international market. Today, for the first time in our history, the Bank of Ghana is implementing a domestic gold purchase program, which was launched in June 2021 to purchase gold domestically to shore up our gold reserves. This has culminated in an agreement with the large-scale mining companies for the Bank of Ghana to purchase 20% of their gold output in CDs, again easing the pressure on the CD. For well over the century that we have been mining gold, our gold reserves between the 1980s and June 2021 were just 8 tons. Under the domestic gold purchase program, our gold reserves have increased from 8 to 14 tons, as at the end of 2022. That is just 18 months of implementation of this program. And clearly, the resources will continue, the reserves will continue to grow. Ladies and gentlemen, we understand our fiduciary duty as trustees of our natural resources for and on behalf of the people of Ghana. And we remain committed to do right by the Ghanaian people in the discharge of our duties as trustees of these resources. But we shall continue to count on your support in the discharge of this onerous mandate. I'm confident that out of this dialogue, we can all renew our commitment to the sustainable management of our natural resources whilst protecting our natural environment for current and future generations. And I have the singular pleasure an honour to declare the two-day Natural Resources Stakeholder Dialogue under the theme Harnessing Our Natural Resources for Our Sustainable Collective Good, duly opened. I wish you fruitful discussions and look forward to the outcomes of the Stakeholder Dialogue.
2: So that was President Akufado speaking. Let's hear now from his Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abdullah Jinapo, who gave the government's plans to protect the country's forest reserves.
6: It is crucial to note that issues of natural resources go beyond our lands, forests, wildlife and mineral resources, which are within the mandate of the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, but include other resources such as water fossil fuels, fisheries, renewable energy resources, among others. All these resources are, however, intrinsically connected to each other. The management of our forests and mineral resources have a direct bearing on our water and marine resources as they affect our lands, rivers, streams, and other natural resources. Indeed, history tells us that the two failed land bills of 1894 in 1897 were inspired by attempts by the colonial government to take over the mineral and forest resources of our nation. This eventually led to the Concessions Ordinance of 1900, a compromise law which, unlike the land bills, did not vest the lands in the crown, but placed restrictions on the right of chiefs to grant concessions for the exploitation of minerals and other natural resources. Colonial regulation of the natural resources sector was largely geared towards security of China for the concessionaires and generating revenue for the colonial government. This continued into post-independence, when all natural resources in their natural state were vested in the President of the Republic for and on behalf of the people of Ghana. Distinguished guests, our world is however changing at a very fast rate, and this is having a direct consequences even on the management of the world's resources. A few years ago, the thought of sand becoming a scarce resource would probably have sounded ridiculous. Today, however, with some 50 billion tons of sand mined annually across the globe, there are fears that the world may run out of sand in the coming years. The management of natural resources, therefore, is not just about protection and exploitation, but also, more importantly, about sustainability environmental protection, mitigating climate crisis and ensuring optimal benefit for the owners of these resources. That is why, pursuant to the instructions of President Akufuado, we have been taking several measures over the past few years to ensure the effective, efficient and sustainable management of our natural resources, and even significantly implementing policies aimed at retaining the value chain of these resources in-country. We have ramped up local content and local participation in the mining industry by increasing the items on the local procurement list of goods and services reserved for Ghanaians from 29 in 2018 to 50 this year. This will ensure that we retain here in our country some 3 billion U.S. dollars annually which will otherwise have been exported. We are working with the Ghana Chamber of Mines and the Security and Exchange Commission to ensure that large-scale mining companies list on the Ghana Stock Exchange. Already, Asante Gold Corporation has listed on the Ghana Stock Exchange, and several other mining companies are in the process of doing so. Through the intervention of President Akufuadu, the Obuasi mine was brought back to life in 2019, and the Bibiani mine, which had been dormant for some seven years, was also revived last year. These measures have contributed immensely to our gold output and the growth of our national economy. Today, gold alone accounts for more than 40% of our total national receipts. But we are not relaxing. Three new large-scale mining operations are scheduled to start production within the next two years, namely Neumon Ahafo North in the Ahafo region, Azuma Resources in the Upper West region, and Cardinal Namdini in the Upper East region, which when completed will become the third largest gold mine in our country. Ladies and gentlemen, as I speak, pursuant to the instructions of President Akufuadu, a technical committee is finalizing a policy document on the exploitation, management, and utilization of our green minerals, including lithium, for the consideration of cabinet. Our goal is to ensure that As much as possible, we retain the value chain of these future and other minerals in our country. In the forestry sector, in addition to the Green Ghana Day, we are implementing programs such as the Ghana Forest Plantation Strategy, under which some 690,000 hectares of forest have been cultivated between 2017 and 2022. The Cocoa and Forest Initiative, the Ghana Red Plus Strategy, under which we are already receiving resource-based payments emission reduction the forest investment program and the forest law enforcement governance and trade action plan through which we are tracing wood from the forest to final disposal apart from these aggressive afforestation and reforestation measures we are taking stringent steps to cordon off and protect our forest resources from attack by illegal miners illegal loggers agricultural expansionists and other drivers of deforestation and forest degradation. Excellencies, distinguished ladies and gentlemen, systematically, as you can see, the government of President Akufoado is putting in place the necessary building blocks to construct in our country a viable, sustainable, effective, efficient, and environmentally sound natural resources sector that generates employment and contributes meaningfully to the development of our country. We recognize that there are still challenges Undoubtedly, our objective is yet to be fully accomplished. And that is one of the main reasons we are gathered here this morning. Mr. President, Honourable Ministers, Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, while it is the responsibility of government, through the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, to regulate and manage the utilization of these resources, we understand the important role other stakeholders play in the discharge of this mandate, hence this dialogue. It is our hope that through this timely dialogue, we can forge a common path to manage sustainably our natural resources, add value to them, retain the highest end of the industry, contribute to the national economy, whilst at the same time protecting our environment for our collective good. We, at the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, under the outstanding leadership of President Akufuado, remain fully committed to working with all stakeholders To construct a sustainable and value-added natural resources sector anchored on transparency, integrity, and utmost good faith for the benefit of the Ghanaian people, the true owners of these
7: resources.
2: The Member of Parliament for Damongwe, Minister for Lands and Natural Resources, Samuel Abdullah Jinnapal there. Earlier you heard the President of the Land, Nana Adudankwa Akufuado. My name is Umaru Sandamadu. This would be it for Eyewitness News. I did this with Enosaku, Technical support from Daniel Squashy. Production by Kwabna Welsin, Beverly London and Samiria Afi. The new media support from Edwin Kwakufi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and have a good night. <laughs>
7: Thank you.
0: line on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook city97.3fm and on Twitter at city973